This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Hello and welcome to the Best Friends Podcast, episode 108. It is Thursday, April the 21st. My name is John Dunn, and on this program, as the intro says, we endeavor to bring you the stories from the front lines of life-saving. And this week, it was a front line that I was able to visit myself in person. The first work travel for me in about two and a half years, so it was very exciting. But I have to be honest with you, it was a lot more exhausting than I remember. I don't know if that's because I'm out of practice or I'm getting old, probably both. Now, I'm not sure there could have been a better place to go for this first trip back. I went to Northwest Arkansas. You may be wondering why that area of the country. There are a few good reasons, and one is a big project that Best Friends and dozens of partners in the Bentonville area are involved in. It's incredibly exciting. That will be the focus of upcoming episodes later in the year. While I was there, I drove about an hour over to the town of Eureka Springs. Again, this is in the northwest corner of Arkansas in the Ozarks. It is a rural community and a rural shelter if there ever was one. The executive director of the Good Shepherd Humane Society, Cole Wakefield, gave me a tour of the facility where they're saving more than 90% of the pets coming into their care. I thought I could play some bits from that tour that would give you a better understanding of the organization and the area. I was able to condense it down just to about seven minutes. And after that, you'll hear that Cole and I moved to a much quieter location to chat some more. But again, first up, a little bit from the tour. Uh, so this is the office, and that's Brandy, my coordinator. Brandy, nice to meet you. She keeps keeps me going, f moving forward. When and, <laughs> and my ADD helps me keep my ADD focused. <laughs> well, this is the spay and neuter clinic. So we spay and neuter our animals here. We also have we also do this with the public. Uh, it's low cost spay and neuter. Uh, we do two days a month. It's all self-contained. We have all the equipment from anesthesia, the autoclaves, all the instruments. Um, and you have a vet on staff or no? So this, we have a contract vet. So we have we have a shelter vet who comes and visits us every other week. And then uh, we use different vets for the spay and neuter clinic. Uh, I had to recruit, which I, I thought was going to be a challenge. Uh, but we actually just sent out a letter to the, all the vets in Arkansas said this is what we're looking for we just need somebody to come in for a few days a month um, make a little money and you know help us out and we got a pretty strong response so we were able to find somebody I, I mean it was kind of a Hail Mary I really wasn't anticipating any response you emailed every vet in Arkansas we sent, sent a letter sent a physical letter out uh, <laughs> how'd you get that list uh, it's on the vet board oh so yeah just went to a licensing board and you can download it huh. and you know, I went to one of the, you know, mailing providers online, just found the cheap one yeah. and uploaded the list and wrote a little letter. And I mean, I think, you know, we probably sent out three or 400, but you know, the response was great. I, I would mean, say yeah. time well spent, time yeah. money well spent. I mean, obviously it was, it was, and, and the point where I was going, well, you know, I don't know what we're going to do. I mean, I don't know if we're just going to have to do something else or, or wait, because I didn't think that we would find one. And of course, everybody's telling me, oh, you know, it's, you know, you're not going to have any luck. And I think that if we were asking for more time from one vet or more of a commitment, we probably would have had a harder time. But two days a month, that's one of their weekends. Where are they coming from? Coming from Bentonville. Okay. So yeah, this is the clinic. So I have everything. That's the surgery room in there and the prep room in here. Not fancy, but it does the job. Yeah, this is something that I like to show other places and go, you don't 
take much. And even even as a shelter, if you look at the cost of paying a vet $500 to come in for a day and do 40 of your shelter pets versus what you're paying a private clinic, investing in even, even if it's just an internal clinic, which means you just need an anesthesia machine, a table. This stuff is very grantable also. Right. You know, like, hey, we need an autoclave. I mean, yeah. there are a lot of foundations. That just right. Love yeah. I mean, because it's solid, real stuff. Mm-hmm. We're going to go buy it right now. Yeah. And you're going to see that we did it. And so I think that, you know, that's, and, and I mean, grand plan, you know, if I could just decide how to run the world. You know, we have five rural shelters around here. Let's put a surgery room in each one. And then you have one vet. That is the shelter vet and just does a like, you know, circuit riding preacher. Makes rounds, you know. And I think that ultimately when it comes down to to rural programming and stuff like that, I mean that's what we're gonna it's gonna have to be shared. I mean, Good Shepherd can't afford a full time vet. There's not a I don't know if there's any shelters in Arkansas outside maybe a couple of the really big cities that could afford a full time vet on their own. Yeah. Uh, so if we're wanting to do more of that sort of thing, we're gonna either have to figure out how to have a bunch of you know, have 15 part-timers on the roster and juggle them or have, you know, a couple that, you know, you know, sort of spread around everywhere. Sure. But So this is, this is our dog runs. Everybody's going to be a little bit rowdy today That's because fine. they didn't get outside. That's fine. So these guys are from the hoarding case. You can see this is somebody that we think they were treating their skin with motor oil, an uh, old country remedy. This is another one of the, that's from the hoarding case. This big old dude's from the hoarding case. Look at that sweet. That shy guy, he's also from the hoarding case. Oh. You're the only organization that can help in a moment like that? Um, we're the only one around here. Yeah, and so it's, but yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things. Like, I, I wanted to get everybody out this fast, but also we're, I mean, everything's strained. Like, even some of the transport partners we've used before, I mean, everybody's just locked down. It's getting a lot harder right now, so... I mean, there, I mean, there's several dogs in there that, you know, medical issues, obviously fear. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of stuff going on. I, who's adopting them? I mean, what happens to dogs like that in your care? Well, we, you know, we have a lot of success. I mean, they usually end up staying longer, but we, we had pretty good success with adopting special needs dogs. I mean, we, we do live broadcasts. Like I did one. Like on your Facebook? On, you on mean? Facebook, you know, to say, hey, this is an older dog. This is an older dog. You know, we're running, we want to get him out of here. He's not going to get better sitting in mm-hmm. here, you know, and be on, we'd be honest with people. Like. Uh, I always tell people, I said, it doesn't matter how great I am at running a shelter and how wonderful we are at everything we do, it's still not a great place to be a dog. So we just try to encourage that. And he can't, you know, we had a foster come the next day. To, to get, and that's know. local folks. Right. Yeah. yeah. Coming out of this sporting situation, we're going to end up with a lot higher proportion of senior dogs than we've had before. So that will be a challenge, you know, and it's just one of those things we'll have to figure out. How many foster homes do you have? Uh, we just have a handful. We have have struggled in foster recruitment, and I think some of that is the community mixture. Uh, I think, you know, we don't have the density of an urban shelter, uh, which means we just don't have the number of foster parents available. Sure. Um, you know, and I think, I mean, I'd like to really know why, because I've, I've shared this, you know, as I've talked to other rural shelters, and there's been some rural shelters who've done really well with fostering, but I've also run into several that have done all, you know, like us who have run the playbook, and we're just not engaging fosters. So this is what's, what we're doing in the back. So we sent, uh, this was really gross back here, and uh, I sent our animal services supervisor to Dogs Playing for Life training from playgroups. And when he came back and implemented the program, we were so happy with how it went and just the 
um, knowledge about do the dogs that we gain, the behavioral benefits to the animal, that we completely tore down all of our old fencing, which needed to come down anyway. And, but then when we put up the new stuff, we have three large play yards. It's all designed to accommodate the dogs playing for life in, in play groups, which is incredible. I, I think it, I was a cautious skeptic just because, you know, at my, at my last job in Fort Smith, this is where things were crazy, I broke up dog fights every day because we, it was an overcrowded facility. Dogs got out all the time. I'd come in in the morning, there'd be dogs out, and then they'd all come to me because I'm the person, and they start fighting. I mean, it's so like, like, you know, I've broken up dog fights. So this idea of just putting a bunch of dogs who don't know each other in a play yard, I'm like, you know, PTSD flashbacks. But with, that, with the tools, you know, in the process that they've developed, it works great. And we, we saw some dogs that we had behaviorally turn around 360 or, or not well, 180. And uh, our dogs that we thought we knew, you know, maybe had dog aggression, we thought we knew had certain problems, and we got them out in play groups, completely different animal than we thought it was. I mean, we had a long-term dog that was listed as dog aggressive, took him to the play group, he loved it. And then after we confirmed he was a dog aggressive, uh, best friends actually took him up to uh, Northwest Arkansas or to Bentonville and on their foster program, and he got adopted after sitting here for almost a year because we had the wrong idea about the dog because we didn't have all the information. So after the tour, we sat down and talked more about Cole and Good Shepherd, what it's like working in rural America, the challenges, how we've done well when it comes to relating to people and pets in rural communities, and ways we can do better to ensure we're supporting the tens of millions of pet owners across those vast rural areas of the country. So I genuinely enjoyed my visit to Eureka Springs, a very unique place, and it was awesome to go to Good Shepherd, hang out with Cole, meet the staff. I hope you enjoy the conversation we had, and hopefully it inspires you to understand how we can all do more to help each other, whether it be in the same county, the next county over, or even further away than that. Check out the website for resources related to this topic, bestfriends.org slash podcast. We've talked about rural issues in previous episodes. We'll have links to those and more, bestfriends.org slash podcast. Click the link for episode 108. You can also check out the show notes for this episode on your podcast player. And please, if you enjoy the program, like, subscribe, share, follow. I, I don't know. There are probably other things you can do, but those are a great place to start. I was very fortunate in the opportunity that's presented itself here. I mean, I was fortunate with what happened in Fort, in Fort Smith and that I, when I got that job and I moved up quickly there and that was just a matter of, it was a very chaotic place. And then the timing here was just, was just right. And I think the organization had recently undergone some leadership changes at the board level and the new board was really interested in doing more. Um, and I had that, that drive and some ideas and, it just all meshed together um, and the, the like the facility here and the organization itself had some really solid bones. So um, it was just uh, a, a good place to, to try some of these things and, and, and thrive. So you're one, you're one of these people, Cole, if somebody said to me, you know, here's a guy in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, a place the vast majority of America I'm sure has never heard of <laughs> right. is going to be, you know, working at this organization and really pretty quickly, I mean, you're known. I mean, you're, you know, you're writing blogs for AWA. You're part of the ELC. I mean, you're doing everything, Cole. Well, it's, um, you know, a lot of it is this definite passion. And, and, you know, I think it helps that I really believe uh, in what I'm doing. You know, I give a lot of credit to to the board here and to the staff that I've worked with here. 
The support that I've received from board leadership, from my staff, from my community as a whole is what has enabled me to do this. Also, Good Shepherd is a unique organization in that it's attached to Eureka Springs, which is a a tourist destination. It doesn't have any traditional industry or commercial. It's all tourism and everything that's not tourist is there because of the people, you know, supporting tourism. And it's known to be an eclectic community um, and a forward thinking community. And it has been, you know, for, for, for a long time. You know, the organization itself has had some ups and downs and some controversies, you know, through the decades, but the community has always stood up and supported its mission. And the fact that the community has supported Good Shepherd for so long and the fact that, that Eureka itself has more resources than the average town of 2000 by nature of being sort of a, a tourist destination and a lot of sort of vacation home type place has enabled us to, to do more and enabled the organization to support a lot of what I'm doing because we really straddle that line of having more resources than average on one side of our county and then on the other side of the county, um, a much more traditional rural, you know, middle and lower class structure. So like Berryville, Green Forest, both amazing towns, but just, you know, demographically different than Eureka. So it's been, it's interesting. I just, and I just think that it, the unique situation that we're in is what has enabled a lot of what I've been able to do because I'm able to, to, to look at and experience some of the real struggles of parts of our, our county and parts of our region dealing with under-resourced areas and rural areas. And because I just happen to be attached to a spot that's doing a little bit better, you know, I have a little bit extra time and a little bit extra resources on our end to, to really explore those problems because that's ultimately those areas, the less resourced areas and the places where you have if any vet offices, not very many, are the places where there may not be any sort of animal services or any government-funded animal services. I mean, those are large chunks of our country, uh, especially in the middle of the country. And, you know, those are going to be the last mile to no-kill. I mean, if if we're going to save them all, we're going to have to save the ones out here in the sticks, right? And the challenge is that so much of our effort as an industry has been on the big number locations. You know, let's save 10,000 animals in Los Angeles or, you know, wherever it is. And, and those are very important things. And that's a lot of lives to save. But when we've developed so much of our infrastructure and so much of our models in those areas, you know, those don't translate one-to-one. -one. And I think it's, and I don't think it's the ideas. I think the ideas translate. I mean, I think the services model of animal welfare translate. I think a lot of what comes out of those translate, but the actual functional side of it has to be adjusted and new models have to be developed for areas that like we see in most of Arkansas or Montana or, you know, all over the country. Yeah. I think there's, you know, there's a lot to that. I mean, I think culturally, you know, if we think about this sort of arc of animal welfare to where we are today, where, you know, we're finally saying no more judgments. We've got to, you know, um, we've got to break down barriers, like all that kind of stuff. I think it's difficult for an average animal lover, animal rescuer, certainly to be able to step foot in the southwest side of Atlanta or right. Gateway, yeah. Gateway, and Arkansas I, with a population of 400 people. Right. And, I th and, and it's and I think, yeah, the challenges are especially in um yeah, it's very similar in, in certain urban areas, and especially when you have isolated urban populations, 
you know, it's the same question. And of course, there's the whole outsider problem of, you know, the idea that nobody, no, there's very few communities that want somebody to just walk in and tell them they're wrong and to, they need to do something differently. You know, it's not an effective way to communicate to people. Uh, so, you know, and that's challenge. So it's, so it's building trust in areas where that we haven't been. Um, I mean, what is the reception like for you? Because you're, you're is it Arkansan? Arkansanian? Uh, it'd be a, an Arkansan. <laughs> there's some debate. There's some debate on that. Uh, whether it's there's there's two there's two schools of thought. It's one's is Arkansan, the other is Arkansas. I'm an Arkansan side okay. of that debate. So. Oh, okay. The reception to you must be, I assume, better than it would would be for me. That you're a local well, guy. Yeah. I mean, I think you know. It, I mean, it, you speak you speak Arkansan. Is right. I mean, saying. I think. I mean, that helps. But but the you know the biggest advantage has come from and it's not i mean and some of it has been two years of relationship building um it's not instant you know this organization has been around since the 70s so it's had it's it's had a history which means it's had 30 years to do great things and 30 years to piss people off um and that's happened i mean it happens everywhere so you know there's so some of that is just practical you know down to earth just relationship building to it all is also uh removing all judgment you know, and we have tension in the county because there's an east-west side of the county. Like I was talking about before, you have Eureka Springs, which is a, you know, whether, you know, stereotypically, you know, sort of hippie, uh, people would classify it as progressive. They say that's where all the weird people live. Um, and so if you go, what we call the Great Divide is the Kings River, which is just down the road. You know, you go to the other side of the Kings River and people go, well, I don't know about those Eureka people. Um, and of course, and the Eureka people are just as bad. Sometimes we can be just as bad going, well, I don't know about those people over there on the other side of the county. Uh, and, and the reality is, is that we're all the, you know, we're all the same. We all love our, our pets. We all need help sometimes. Uh, and so it's just coming out coming at it from that approach. Um, and that's why, you know, the, one of the things that I thought was real important to do here when I took over was to to get out from behind the desk and out from our gates at the shelter and to get out to the community. And some of that is, you know, like our food support program, um, our showing up at events, being there to help people, just just and, and being there to listen and not walking into community going, I'm taking all the dogs off chains because all of you dummy rednecks have your dogs on chains. Well, I, you know, you can say that and you may even feel that in your heart, but if you're trying to keep that from happening, that is not, uh, that is not the approach to take. You know, ideally we should be able to snap, we, I could snap my fingers and every dog and cat would have a home. If I could have my way, it would be like that. Right. Yeah. But that's not reality. So we can, we can think about how things should be and how we wish they would be and how frustrated we are about how they are. But, it, but we, you know, it's not how it's going to work. You have to meet people where they're at. You have to face a situation for the reality, you know, on how it is. And, and the reality is, is that if I walk into somebody's yard and, and want to talk to them about taking care of their dog, if I do that in a, you know, with my finger pointed, you know, I might get my finger shot off. Right. I mean, you know, it's, you know, it, you're not going to, you're not going to get anywhere because people take it personally. I mean, the dog chaining thing is, is I think is one, because that, that is a classic illustration of like when, when, especially if people are like, this is why we rescue from the South. Look at what they do. Here's a picture of a dog on a chain. Um, and some of those are really sad cases and I'm not, and I'm not diminishing that at all. Mm -hmm. But when you go there, there are people behind that story. And that's the important, if you're trying to create affect change, you have to get to the story behind the picture. And, and maybe those people love that dog, or maybe that was daddy's dog. And maybe daddy has 
kept his dogs on the front yard on a chain and because that's what granddaddy did. It doesn't mean that they didn't love them, didn't care for them, they fed them. But that's what the family's done for generations. So if you come up there and tell them that they're horrible people, you're not only calling them bad, you're calling you're 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 talking bad about their dad and their granddad. I mean, you know, it's that's not going to help you. And that's not going to solve our problem. Most people, and again, I say most people because there are plenty of bad actors out there. Don't get me wrong, and there are, are jerks and and people who are mistreating their dogs just down the street but it's happened but it's also happening in colorado and everywhere else Mm -hmm. but by and large if somebody has an animal and they're feeding it there's a reason like there's a connection there some for something i mean why did they keep it i mean i using the dog the motor oil uh example yeah i mean that's is it abuse it's not what you should do but where's the problem lie there? Yeah, it's and, not the, it's an absence and, of knowledge. And, and what that is, that's a great example because that particular case, that's a social services failure, a system failure, not not calling out any particular agency or saying that somebody sure. didn't do but as far as just the way the system's set up. I've run into several people in the community who knew him since all this happened, since we came across the hoarding case. When he was a police officer, he used to feed the stray cats at the police station. So this is a man that loved animals, and he was known for his love of animals, which is probably why he ended up having dogs dumped you know, at the end of the dirt road that he lived on. Everybody knew Frank right. would take care of him. Right. That combined with he then went through a year of insane tragedy where he lost a wife and two sons, and each in separate incidents. So, you know, this was a man in crisis, emotional crisis, Mm -hmm. and the dogs were just wrapped up in that. I mean, all of them are fat. Yeah. I mean, you know, he was buying cheap food and feeding. I mean, some of them, I mean, they're, you know, these are dogs from a hoarding case that we have on a diet (laughs) because, (laughs) you know, they are incredibly obese. Some of them, or they have the skin issue where this, these dogs were itching or whatever it was. And he had read somewhere or heard somewhere that motor oil was the way to handle it so you know even though it wasn't it was an attempt to care but he knew you existed he'd been a cop here but he he knew good shepherd i I found out that a lot of the stuff that's that is sitting at his house you know in piles out there came from our thrift store i talked to one of our thrift store clerks the other day who said yeah he used to come in every other week did he just not know that you would be a resource like why do you think he didn't reach out and say well i got a lot of dogs here and i I and i I think that's where the the social services failure. And, and it may be, and it may be that five years ago he called and asked us for help and we told him no, you know, or back before we were, you know, had the, t- the type of outreach programs that we had now, he might've tried and not, not gotten anywhere. And so it was like, okay, well, I guess I'm stuck. Well, it's like somebody um, who goes to adopt and then gets denied says, well, I'm never going to do that again. Right, yeah. You wanted my blood type and you talked right. to my landlord and you still so, didn't give me a dog. So I'm so. Go to Walmart in the <laughs> parking lot or call a breeder, but it. You know, so so for whatever reason, he didn't engage. And, and some of that was obviously there was a mental health issue there. You know, I, I wonder personally, and I will always wonder, man, if I had been better at getting out into the county and talking to people, if I had been better at outreach, you know, or if we had had more programs in place, or if we had been more hooked up with the sheriff's department who is, you know, patrolling the county, you know, what could we have done that we would have been able to intervene prior to his passing to not only start working to help these animals faster, but to help him. Cause obviously it had to be an overwhelming thing. And, and he obviously had some sort of emotional tie to keeping these animals. And the thing is that he's not the only situation like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, there are no telling dozens of probably s- similar 
situations going on in the surrounding area. You know, that's why it's important to, to get out into the community and to get programs into place and let people know that we are here to help. I mean, I have, I have no judgment on that man. He had a heart. He was just in pain emotionally and, and misguided. And I will always regret that I, we weren't able to help him uh, while he was still alive. But hopefully we can get better at doing this sort of thing so that we can reach more people in that well, situation. annual intake? Uh, we, uh, we, it's between five to 600. Okay. And you said your budget, 400,000? Uh, is that growing? It's growing. So our number one source of income is our thrift stores. We have two thrift stores. And then we're, after that, we're supported through donations. And then after that, it's uh, sort of grants and other support. Do you have a um, development person? Do you have anybody that focuses on marketing and fundraising? Uh, me. Yeah. So, so that's me now, especially uh, I was doing that before and then coming into the executive director position, you know, I'm taking on one more of that. You know, we don't have a lot of the traditional, like we don't have adoption counselors. Our kennel techs are adoption counselors. That's why I always, always would laugh when, you know, we're pushing foster programs and you read all these foster materials and they say, well, you need to, to reclassify one of your adoption staff as a foster coordinator. And I go, well, you know, there's nobody to reclassify. I mean, we don't, you know, that's just, so now, and I've moved, um, I have a new, well, not new, I promoted my supervisor into uh, animal services manager who's taking over day to day nuts and bolts shelter operations as I'm trying to, to move to focus more on development. Cause our desire is to grow the organization. I mean, I, Right now, sheltering is still the biggest chunk of our um, expenses by far. I, you know, I want to, to change that. You know, I, I feel like we should be doing a lot more with services, but the reality is I can't just stop sheltering because we're it for the county. Uh, so I, I need to, to make some more money so that I, I can expand our, our services options. So interesting what you said about the resources. And I, I, to be honest with you, I never really thought about it. I mean, it's almost like we need a, a separate set of resources that really speak to and really genuinely help Good Shepherd and however yeah, many right. other communities across the country that really understand your needs. Every community is is different. Yeah. Like what does Good Shepherd need? Certainly not a resources that tells you to repurpose staff you don't have and this is and i'm probably one of the best staff rural shelters in the state i mean and just because I, we're we're doing well but you know you saw we have it just south of us the county south of us you know they have like f maybe two full-time and two part-time people and six kennels and you know one cat room you know since they started some of the open adoption programs and stuff that i help them implement you know they're doing two to three hundred or maybe three or four hundred a year out of that little bitty spot. So how are you, where are you finding the time to go to the County next door? Uh, I, I you know, for, well, for a while I was probably running towards burning myself out a little bit, especially when I started. And so I've had to be a little bit more conscious about time and like, okay, I'm taking this weekend. <laughs> um, but again, I think that I was very fortunate in that I've had a, a board of directors that sees the value in helping the communities around us. I mean, they definitely want me to make sure that I take care of the business here first. That's my job. But they also understand that we are a pretty, especially you know, after this last couple of years, we, we are in a, in a pretty fortunate position in that, you know, the dogs and cats don't respect county lines. They don't see the map. And, uh, you know, they see the value of that. So they, they've been very nice and, you know, and, and generous in letting me do some of this. Um, and again, I, I, 
none of it would be possible without an amazing staff. I'm very, very fortunate in the, the staff that I have now. Um, some other, I think, you know, budding leaders and, and uh, you know, just really passionate people. Um, and without each of them, I mean, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. I mean, you talk about burnout, the fact that you have these passionate people, you know, these leaders of tomorrow. I mean, it says a lot that you're identifying that and trying to nurture that as well. Because again, I think in larger places and less so today, because everybody's struggling with staffing, but I mean, it used to be that, you know, you put an animal care job up and people apply and, you know, you yeah. run through them. You know, it's fine. I'll find someone else. You don't have that luxury. I mean, how many people right. in Eureka Springs, even with good pay, want to work here? Right. And it, I mean, and the, and the pay is not great. Um, I mean, you know, <laughs> um, and it's tough and it can be tough. And we and um, I mean, I would say that I've, I've been very fortunate with the staff uh, that I have. My animal services manager, he was actually here under previous management, the only person that remained and is incredibly dedicated. But he was somebody that was just an animal care tech and he hadn't had a lot of institutional investment into him. You know, I made it, it you know, it was determined, I went, well, let me see if I can, if there's some leadership to nurture there. We put a big emphasis on training, training here. I mean, and the thing is that there are great resources out there for training that are, that are free. Everybody, all of our animal care staff are fear free certified through the fear free shelters program. And, you know, we offer incentives and stuff for them to go to Maddie's university if we have a scholarship or I find the right conference or something that I think is going to match, we, we send people to them. Uh, and all of that pays for itself in so many ways. I mean, that, that training is, is amazing. And, and, and I think when you invest in people and people see, Oh, this guy cares enough about what I do to, to let me sit on a computer for two hours today to do this course, you know, they tend to reward you <laughs> with good service. I mean, and, um, you know, that's been, that's been the case here and, and we continue to, I will always be a proponent of continual learning and continual training, no matter whether you're cleaning the kennel or running the shelter. I'm, I'm, I think there's a lot of things that have really blown me away this week. And one is the, uh, the coalition partnership for animal welfare, yeah. 40 members across five counties. I think Kristen told me, uh, just for some comparison, I was thinking about NKLA, which is mm -hmm. No Kill Los Angeles, a very big coalition, uh, great strides in that in that huge city, 500 square mile city, right? Huge. Right. I think there are about 120 coalition members, which is a lot. Right. So 40 here is like kind of mind blowing. What has that done in the last three or four years in terms of helping you working with other people? I mean, I've got, I've got to imagine that if nothing else, you've got some camaraderie and you're not just over here in Eureka Springs and hopefully you're helping each other. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the big, you know, the big thing is that, yeah, we know each other now. All right. Right. So, you know, it was, it, and it's still not uncommon to not know the people who run the shelter or the county next to you or the city next to you. So that really, I think helped, it helped made those, uh, uh, making those connections and stuff. And there's people in the Paw Coalition that I talk to all the time. And even if it's just chatting online with, hey, what's going on? Or, hey, I have this dog or, or I saw this or is this person legit? <laughs> you know, things like that, that, that is very important. Uh, one of the great things that, that was really cool that happened um, not too long after I started here and started getting involved in the coalition, we had a hoarding case um, in the county next to here in Boone County in Omaha, Arkansas. Similar to what, we're dealing with now, but uh, dogs were in much worse condition. The Humane Society in Boone County called me and was like, 
the sheriff just arrested this guy. He's got all these dogs out here. I think there was 40 something. We don't know what to do. Like, we can't handle this. This is way too much. Uh, and I said, well, I mean, I know I can't handle it all, but hold on, let's figure out what we can do. And I reached out to you know, the coalition Facebook group and said, hey, here's what's going on. Who can help? And I mean, I would say five or six organizations jumped in. We addressed that situation. Those dogs had to be gotten off immediately. And it took that team. And, if, and I mean, I was proud of the fact that, you know, Northwest Arkansas came together and we solved the problem. We didn't have to call anybody for help. You know, we didn't have to get the emergency response team from a national. Like we, we were able to figure it out and we went out there and took care of it. Um, and that was enabled by uh, the coalition just by having made the connections and the contacts. Can we talk about rural outreach a little bit? I mean, um, I, that blog series you did on Owl, I thought was great. And I'm not saying we figured out urban America. You know, we're still figuring that out. But I do think rural issues on the whole, we don't know anything. Right. I mean, maybe folks in Little Rock. I mean, do they have any idea what's going on? And if they even know, I mean, are they getting involved? I mean, there's a, a huge amount of work, like what you just said earlier. It's the... 50 animals a year, 20 animals a year that are like, nobody even knows. Yeah. About, I, and you know? it's, um, the problem hasn't been solved anywhere. I mean, we still have a lot of work to do everywhere, but we do have some really great urban models for, for most cities or urban, urban areas. And now it's getting to the point to where the bigger problem is convincing people to do it versus how to do it. But that doesn't extend to access to care. Now access to care is still an issue everywhere. But in, in rural areas, we're, we still haven't figured out the how-to yet. We're still several steps behind. And that's why I feel like it's important. We got to start catching up because, you know, if we keep making progress like we're making it, you know, we're going to get right to the goal line of what we're trying to do. And then we're going to get stuck. If you could snap your fingers today, and I'm not saying, Cole, you should have all the answers. Right. But if you could snap your fingers today and res resources were not limited and, and you just had time and money, what would you do to help this area of the world? I mean, I think, you know, when it, when it comes down to it, it's going to be pure retail outreach, retail politics. You know, we, we're going to have to to train people who work in animal. We're, we're awful at communicating. So we have to train people how to communicate to their with their communities, how to communicate to the leaders in their community. Uh, I mean, some of it is, you know, it's going to be knocking on doors at some isolated shelter saying, hey, I'm so-and-so from so-and-so. You guys need some help? That's very labor-intensive. No, and, and, and I think the and I think that's the, that's what it's going to take. I mean, I, you know, I think instead of our big $100,000 Re renovate the big urban, you know, animal welfare center grants. You know, we're going to get all those places renovated, but we're going to start need that. We need to hold out a hundred thousand dollar grants to the small places because they, because those thousand dollars, you know, you know, organizationally have as much impact as a hundred thousand dollars. So there are, there are animal organizations. Like I could take a thousand dollars and you know, right now our, the animal control in Eureka Springs, they have two pens sitting outside the, uh, police station they have a wonderful animal control officer but that but the city is that's all they have and you know we had crazy winter weather and we had to rush to try to get the animals out of there and that's here. right i and saw you on facebook you were you stayed here right yeah and there was you slept here yeah and it was yeah we had when one day i slept here and i was here by myself for the whole day because nobody could get in but 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 there are places where where if if you knocked on the door and you said hey why don't you try doing this and they're gonna go well we can't afford that or we can't or what do you have so well, you know what if i could you know 
we can give you a thousand dollar grant if you just try opening up your adoptions. What I mean, what's next for you? What's next for Good Shepherd? Um, yeah, we're doing uh, some really cool things. Uh, I think that Good Shepherd, we're, we have just we're buying a new building in Berryville that we're moving our thrift store to. Attached to that building is a thousand square foot warehouse with a loading dock. So we're going to really try to ramp up our food assistance program. Uh, I'm hoping to get involved with some other programs so that not just for us, but the, where we can be get truckloads of donations or cheap food in um, and help other shelters and humane organizations around along with human food banks and all that stuff. So we're really pushing that this year. Uh, we have a new community cat TNR program that we're implementing thanks to a uh, best friends and Paul Alliance uh, grant that we got, uh, which is exciting. My future is, I, you know, I'm real, you know, interested or excited about executive director promotion. Uh, so I'll be diving more into development and uh, getting out there doing the, that retail connection and retail, you know, fundraising. And also, um, you know, I hope that this allows me to do more and help out more with uh, whether it's working on a Haas working group or, you know, speaking at a conference or speaking, sitting down and speaking with you, um, doing more of this development and keeping the, the focus on the rural side of things. And, 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 you know, I, I want good shepherd to be one of those places where maybe we can work to develop some of these models and, you know, some of these processes. Well, I think you have a, an opportunity today better than ever for that to the point you made earlier. I mean, it has to be people from within the community, you know, John Dunn coming in, like, yeah. okay, I mean, who the hell am I? You know what I mean? Like some city slicker yeah. or whatever. I think it's, you know, I hate to say it like this because it sounds negative, but it it's a hot topic right now. And we realize that we need to do something about it. And we need the coals to really help us figure that out. And there are some other people out there who are really excited. I got like, some really good feedback on the blog. You know, there are, are some great leaders out there. Uh, in, in Arkansas, we have some great leaders. We have... Uh, I mean, somebody you should really talk to for the podcast at some point would be Mike Wheeler from Cabot, uh, looking, yeah. looking at yep. what, what he's been able to do in Cabot and taking what we would consider to be a traditional red state community that we're like, oh, they're not going to invest in animal welfare. And he has just by smart retail politics and being an asset to the community has gotten that community to really invest in into their animal services. You know, that's somebody to look at work building some sort of model off of and, and talking to. So I hope to keep the conversation alive. Uh, I think that's that's important. It's out there. And then the reality is, unless we do it, unless we figure it out, we're never we're never going to meet our goals. I'd like to thank Cole and the rest of the staff at Good Shepherd for their hospitality and thank them for all of their work. And thank you to all of you for listening and everything you do to help people and pets. And thank you to Bethany Hines, Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, Kim Clonch, Tawny Hammond, and Mark Peralta for helping to produce this program. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.